ओम अज्ञानतिमिरंधस्यज्ञानंजनशलाकाया Chakshurin militam yena tasmai shri gurave namaha. Some difficulty, that's good. It's good for spiritual life to have some difficulties. That's why, one of the reasons why India is good for spiritual life, because the atmosphere here fosters austerity. It's very good. Human life is not meant for sense gratification. We're not meant for comfortable living. If there are difficulties, that's good. It helps us to remind us that this material world is not a comfortable place to live. So if there are so many difficulties, why should we be disturbed? So what? Great. Very nice. We don't want to live in the illusion that life is very comfortable and very nice. Let me live comfortably. Let there be difficulties. There's a few difficulties. So much benefit is there. We have to take advantage of that. And as I was saying before, if there are difficulties, that increases our awareness, our, our tolerance. Uh, we can learn so many different things. And even if we think India is austere, quite honestly, it's much less austere than it used to be. Life in India is much more difficult 20 years ago. Anyway, there's, we don't want to go on and on about the difficulties. Mostly, in any situation, in India or anywhere, mostly the difficulties are according to our perception of them. And someone can be, two people can be in the same situation and one is thinking, oh, this is so terrible and the other just goes on because he, it depends on how we react in our mind. Just like you have to take cold bath in the morning. Someone, if you're contemplating how miserable it will be, then uh, you, it takes you half an hour to, to even do it. And then uh, you're just thinking how terrible it is. And someone, they just go and do two minutes, it's all over, finished. Because the matter of the, how you approach, that just get on with it, just do it finished. And this way we go through difficulties. That, uh, I think uh, devotees that stay in India, it, one thing, you have to have like a, a positive approach to life because there, there are certain difficulties. Life isn't so straightforward and easy. It's not that you just... Like often things that in the West you might get just done with a phone call. It might take you three days of running around town to get it done in India because things don't work so efficiently. Sometimes you get frustrated but if you have like a a positive attitude that we've got to get the job done, whatever the conditions are. Just like nowadays, we print, we print books, we, we do everything in the computer, and we, we print it out and we give it to the printer and he does it. But in the, previously, you had to write it, type it, retype it, retype it, retype it, retype it, retype it, then send it to the, send it to the uh, typesetter, and then you had to proofread it ten times, and, and you had to go to the press so many times. So. Even in the Western world, previously things were more difficult. So uh, people people had to do things according to the situation. So the same thing in India. Whatever the situation, we have to get on with life and do it. One thing uh, also, a sense of humor helps. <laughs> in any situation where there's difficulty, if you just if you just laugh, if you can just laugh instead of getting frustrated, it's good to have a sense of humor. Prabhupada had a sense of humor. It's, uh, Prabhupada said a, a gentleman should, should also have a sense of humor. So in, when there's so many difficulties, if you can just laugh, oh, oh make some joke. Mm-hmm. Is it then a different approach? Instead of being overwhelmed by the difficulties, you just laugh like that. So, well, um, that's just a general approach too. Now, I was talking about preaching in India. So preaching everywhere, it means we have to have a preaching spirit, but... We have to know something about the specialized situation we're in. So when we say preaching in India, um, of course in India there's different states and among Hindus there are different groups. There are different groups of Vaishnavas, there are Gorya Vaishnavas, Sri Vaishnavas, Balab Sampradaya, and then even within those groups there's subgroups just like within the Gorya Vaishnava Sampradaya there's Gorya Mat and there's so many branches and sub-branches and there's different family trees of disciplined descendants and then there's Sri Sampradaya and then there are offshoots of original Sampradayas like Ramanandis and Swami Narayan who are supposed to be, they think they're Vaishnavas, actually they're Mayavadis and uh, there's so many different groups and there's so many different uh, within, within the Indian culture it's actually a, it's like, a, what's that word? Uh, it's like a kaleidoscope of different ingredients which blend together. It's not that you say, oh, preaching in India is just like this, because there's so many regional differences. Just like if you're in Bengal, you'll find, you're, you're up a, if you're preaching in the villages especially, you'll find a lot of Sahajiya Vaishnavism. 
And then if you're preaching, for instance, in Tamil Nadu, you'll find uh, a lot of people are interested in worshipping Kartikeya and Lord Shiva. And everywhere you'll, you'll find uh, the Mayavad ideas, or you'll find bogus gurus. And but there's different, just like in Maharashtra, worship of Ganesh is very strong, or in Gujarat, worship of Krishna is very strong, but side by side there's worship of uh, Mother Ambe. And there's regional differences. So, in whatever region you're in, if you spend some time, you'll find what are the different, there are different prominent ideas which you may have to study a little bit to understand, to speak to the people. Just like I was in Bangladesh many years, and the people used to quote some lines from Chaitanya Bhagavat. They used to quote this to say that this proves that there's another incarnation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, that's just an example. You might have to study some things which you might not study. Just like in the West, if you're preaching, you might, you might study, for instance, something about science. You might do that in India also, if you're preaching in the colleges, just to have a little specialized knowledge of what you're dealing with. So, in the same way in India, just like, for instance, it's quite common, people will ask you things, well, in the Ramayana, this, what, what do you think about it? In the Ramayana, Lord Ram, he worships Lord Shiva. So, this proves Lord Shiva is supreme. Yeah. Uh, you'll find that people say, well, in Mahabharata, Lord Krishna praises Lord Shiva as supreme. So what, what do you say about this? Or, uh, or you'll find people, they say they're different incarnations of God. And this is, we accept him as an incarnation of God and because he did this and he did that. And you'll find so many different things. Worship different demigods and Swami so-and-so said this. And you'll find different... Uh, there are so many different things. Actually, it's practically unlimited, the number of things that people can say. And it's unlimited nonsense. So many nonsense things people say. But sometimes, because it sounds... It's just like in preaching everywhere. That's the phantasmagoria of Maya. Sometimes people say things which sound very... They sound as if they're very solid and it's difficult to preach against. But actually, if we study Prabhupada's books thoroughly and chant our rounds nicely, and pray to Krishna, we can defeat anybody. Just even if we know Bhagavad Gita as it is thoroughly, any philosophy we can defeat. But it may be useful also if we're spending some time here, or if we're preaching to Indians outside of India, to know some of these different things. So maybe we could discuss a, a few of these things. If some of you had some questions, you probably were going to ask some questions about Ramanandis and Swami Narayan. So if you have any questions like that, it's good to know. But many times people will ask you things you never, you never heard of before. I mean, people come up with all kinds of funny things. You can't. It's like a good imagination. It's it's uh, Hinduism means that people have applied their intelligence very carefully how to avoid Krishna. It's it's like every actually it's very clear the Vedic literatures are there that we should surrender to Krishna. So people know this. The shastras are there. The acharyas have come and spoken. But it's like very very diligently applied intelligence, how to take the absolute truth and re-adjust it so as to come out of something completely different and nonsense. And how to make a good show of being religious, avoiding, how to be very religious and pious without surrendering to Krishna. <coughs> this is Hinduism. So this is what we're dealing with. Now, another, of course, India, uh, it is not only Hinduism, it's the second biggest Muslim population in the world after Indonesia. It's even more than Pakistan, and the, uh, the, Hindu, the Muslim population in this country. So we're not, actually we're mostly concentrating on preaching to Hindus, because that's a huge job in itself. But actually Prabhupada, he wanted preaching to Muslims also. If we, we find at the present time, especially there's been a lot of tension made by politically minded people between Hindus and Muslims. Uh, but actually Prabhupada, he never, if you find, if you go through all of Prabhupada's writings and his conversations and his letters, he never said anything against Islam. And he used to say that why, he said instead of condemning these people, he said that the Hindu leaders, they should have convert, they should have brought these people back. They were, he said they didn't come from outside. The Muslims, the majority of the population, were Indian people who were previously worshipping Krishna or different demigods. So they should be brought back. He said, just, he said, those who are low class and fallen, they should be purified. So he said, why don't you try to do that? And I did it in the Western countries. If you're so concerned about the Muslims, instead of condemning them, why don't you pick them up? That's much better. 
So actually to date our movement has done very little in the line of preaching to Muslims in India or anywhere in the world for that matter. And it is very sensitive and difficult. I know in Bangladesh whenever we made Muslim devotee it became a very sensitive thing. They had to leave the country because it's dangerous. It's dangerous means they, the person themselves who we, for want of a better word, convert may, may be in danger of his life and we could ourselves be thrown out of the country. It's very, very, uh, I mean, it's very difficult people. <laughs> They're very fanatical, that word is used, and it's not, uh, it's not an incorrect dis- dis- description at all. It's, if, if, uh, if a Muslim, Prophet actually he told that he knew many Muslims who used to worship Krishna. He told there was one professor in Allahabad, he, he, every day, every Janmashtra he used to write something for the, for the was it Allahabad or Aligam? He used to write something about Krishna on Janmashtami and he was completely a devotee of Krishna, but from a social point of view, he had to maintain himself as a Muslim. So that's a very big field, preaching to Muslims. And actually, Prabhupada said in Bangladesh, he said that if we do nice, if we do kirtan, the Muslims there will be attracted. That's the best way to, to preach them. They'll naturally be attracted. They naturally, Krishna consciousness is attractive to everybody. So if we have, of course, it is very difficult. There's no doubt about it because the way Islam is taught in this country especially. If you, it's very interesting if you go like, for instance, to Dubai or anywhere in the Middle East, you'll find there are Muslims there from, there are local Muslims, Arabian Muslims, that means, then there's Iranian Muslims, Iraqi Muslims, there are Arabs also. Then there's uh, Bangladeshi, Filipinos, and there's Pakistani and Indian Muslims. There's all kinds of Muslims from different backgrounds. So the most fanatical, it's not actually the Pakistani Muslims, it's the Indian Muslims. And the Pakistanis are the next most fanatical. And if you if you meet Muslims in other countries, they're usually there are they're usually not so fanatical. But somehow or other, Islam in this country, it's being promoted as as something very much uh, against the uh, the mother culture of this country. So it's a very very difficult situation because people pro- are brought up in a kind of hatred of this culture. Uh, so it's just like they, if, a, if a kirtan group goes past, many times you'll find riots are started in this country because some kirtan group or Hindu festival is going past chanting, going past a mosque, and then they protest, you can't chant here. And they say, well, why not? And then there's a riot and so many people are killed. So it's, uh, it's, there's an atmosphere of intolerance. So it's very difficult, but it's not impossible. Probably the best thing for preaching Islam in this, among Muslims in this country is that we've seen that a few years ago. Ravanari Prabhu, who is from a Lebanese Muslim, that means Palestinian Mullah family, which is considered in great esteem by Muslims around the world, someone who's from an Arabic, from the, particularly from that area, uh, from Mullah family. So he's saying I'm from the 13th generation Mullah family, and he was preaching in India, Krishna consciousness. And mostly the Muslims, the, Many of them, they, they didn't believe actually, they, they thought it was just a show. How could he be a devotee of Krishna? When they come to realize it was true, it had a tremendous effect on their, on their consciousness, just really shattered them. So we need more of that. Actually, there are many, many people from Muslim families joining our movement in the ex-CIS, you'll find. But they're not, I mean, they're not, well, where are the real Muslims? Difficult to say. I mean, we keep dogs and so many things. But uh, that's that's one big problem. If anyone wants to get a lot of mercy, they can preach among Muslims. And if you can bring Indian Muslims to Krishna consciousness, you're definitely you're going to go back to Godhead. <laughs> it's a big field. How many people? It's what 180 million people, 150 million Indian Muslims. <coughs> it's a lot of people. It's a good field. Wear a bulletproof vest when you're doing it. Uh, another another thing uh, is Christianity. Christianity is also uh, it, it, it's an increasing religious force in India. Of course, when we use these terms, it's, they're like real religion means surrender to Krishna. But when we're talking in like social terms here, so Christianity uh, it's been in India since. Uh, very, very early days, it's, it's about what, I, I can't remember exactly, about 500 AD, something like that, when, uh, when uh, so-called explorers from Europe came, they came to Kerala and they found so many Christians, they were shocked. So, uh, anyway, then later on these Christians came and they made a few converts here and there, and especially in Goa, 
they had many uh, many converts to Christianity. <coughs> hmm? Yeah. And then there was that Francis Xavier, the saint. He converted people with the sword. Great saint. <laughs> But Christianity is making a lot of progress, for want of a better word, in India now, especially in South India. It's really growing fast. and it's, it's The methods they have of making people Christian and no philosophy. One book they made, How to Preach to Hindus, they said, the most important thing you should know when you're preaching to Hindus, don't speak any philosophy. Just don't speak any philosophy. Because if, if you speak philosophy, then... Well, there is no philosophy in Christianity, so what are you going to speak? I mean, even the most hodgepodge Hindu has got more philosophy than Christianity. But it's just make friends with people. Ask them to pray with you, they say. Don't speak philosophy, ask them to pray with you. Just see, the people, they have a natural inclination to pray. And they think, if I pray in the church or if I pray in the temple, it's all the same thing, because God is everywhere. And then you gradually, gradually, gradually bring them. So... Uh, my analysis is, one reason why Christians are being so successful in India is because people have a natural tendency to bhakti. But the, what is being taught is mayavad. You, you pray whichever way you like, you pray to any god, and do whatever you like, and it's all the same. And, but people want some direction. Whereas in Christianity they say, here is Jesus, pray to him, he will deliver you. That's what people want. They want something clear and straightforward. This is what I tell the so many times these Hindus, so-called Hindu leaders, come to us and say, what, you have to help us fight Christianity? I say, it's not us, it's your fault. They're becoming Christians because of your mumbo-jumbo preaching that everything's all the same. People want direction. They want to be told this is the correct path, but you're not telling it to them. Well, you should join us and help us to preach Krishna consciousness, which is the real path of bhakti. Because what happens when they become Christians, they actually become extremely offensive. They, they, they be, to, to solidify their Christianity, they, they completely reject. It's like talking to just, just to a wall or something. Someone who becomes a Christian, they, they think that anything that anyone says which is not in line with Christianity is just like the same as in the West. Born again Christians, you can't speak to them at all. Actually, good preaching, nice preaching to Christians is among people who have been Christians for several generations who are brought up in Christian family. They're not really that concerned about Christianity. It's just they happen to be born in a Christian family. So they're often very good candidates, but they often make very good devotees. Indian Christians from, from backgrounds from, which are not hardcore Christian. Because you find that, uh, actually a few years ago, the Christian churches, they were afraid that... Oh, Hare Krishna. That, uh, I just told you about Goa. He's from Goa. <laughs> a Hindu family. Anyway, we're all spirit soul. Hmm. Uh, a few years ago the Christian churches in India they were afraid that Christianity was just going to merge into, into Hinduism because if you went to a Christian home they'd, find, they'd have a picture of Jesus and they'd put a garland on and they'd offer arati like this so they're afraid it's just a, and they have their Christian festivals where the Hindus will also join in and but now they this uh, Protestant, like Baptist type Christianity is very strongly preaching and they're making a lot of converts by all, by very devious means. Among poor people, they tell them, well, why don't you be, what's the value of your being a Hindu? What do the Hindus do for you? Well, why don't you become a Christian? We'll give education to your children. We'll give them English medium education. We'll give you a chicken every Sunday <laughs> and a bag of rice and, uh, and you can get a job in our school. And in this way, just by completely and uh, they know that these people they convert is like low class poor people they convert. They, don't, they, they, they say they don't care about it it doesn't matter they'll, all, they'll never be Christians they'll, they'll take it only for for the material gain they'll call themselves a Christian but we'll educate their children we'll capture their children this is one tactic and then among uh, more higher class people what they do they concentrate on the women and they tell them they say because women often they have modern age especially they have so many problems and this and that so they're kind to them they're nice to them so they come why don't you come with us and Jesus will give you shelter they speak to them in a very sentimental way they better don't tell your husband when the woman's completely convinced then they bring the children and so many many times I've seen families where it's like the husband he's, he didn't know what was going on he's completely frustrated his wife and children are Christians and he's not in the slightest bit interested in this nice family split up and so many things like that. So, uh, 
that that is a, that is a, it's an increasingly it, it actually gives us some inspiration to preach more that uh, in Bangladesh I know when we were preaching there that Christianity was rampant among the conversion to Islam and Christianity was rampant among the Hindus because they were cut off politically from India and the Muslims were telling them that Hinduism it's all of course we don't call ourselves Hindus but people identify ourselves as such so um, so they, was, they were saying there were so many conversions to Islam because people they felt that no one was preaching no one came to the Hindus to preach anything to them because they were afraid and then we, we were, we're going all over the country and people are just so delighted because it, I was saying that in different parts of India there's different manifestations of Hinduism so in Bangladesh, East Bengal the traditional Hinduism is worship of Gornitai, Radha Krishna with Kirtan chanting Hare Krishna so people are so delighted to see us and then one uh, one Hindu leader came to us and uh, he was saying that whenever he said we're very happy with your movement because wherever you go the tendency for people to convert to Islam and Christianity has completely stopped and even people that converted, they come, they come back again also. So we were saying to him, we were just like joking with him. No, he was not necessarily joking. Push him and say, well, what's the benefit? What's the great benefit if they're Christian? You're, you're Hindus, they're not following anything anyway. So what's the benefit? So we're going on like this with Goranga. He said, yes, all right, we agree. Better they stay in. So uh, that is some impetus for us to preach also that people who have, uh, who have so many generations their families, they're chanting Hare Krishna, or they're not, maybe not chanting Hare Krishna, at least they're following Vedic culture, at least some basic principles, respecting the cows. When they become Christian, they become cow killers, and they take pride in it. So it's a very horrible thing, and they become blasphemous to the Vedas, and to the Acharyas, and to Krishna. So it's a, it's a challenge for us. It's, the Christians, they recognize that, that uh, India is a very good field for preaching, that there's people have a very strong spiritual need, it's not being fulfilled, and it's a good field for them to work. And Islam, there's also millions of dollars being pumped into this country for Islam. Wherever you, wherever you go all over the country, there's mosques being built everywhere. So it, it, the uh, Christians and Muslims, they're busy making converts, and so we, we should also be busy. To, uh, to save the people from degradation. Another thing, we're talking about different groups, they're preaching. See, Indian people, they're naturally devotees. The Prophet said that every Indian, even a Muslim, they're all naturally Krishna conscious. But at the same time, their minds are confused by so many different ideas. So many different ideas. Um, and at least previously India was a land of philosophy. Nowadays, it's, uh, it's, it's very cheap the, the way people are following, just like there's so many followers of Sai Baba, or in the last few years this Asaram rascal has become very prominent. That uh, many, many people, they're just looking for some kind of leadership. They want someone to lead them, and some people are taking advantage of it, even, even among him. Sometimes I say to, sometimes people come up to me and say that, uh, well, what should we do about so many Christians and Muslims? They're, they're making God. So, well, in some ways, it's better they be Christians or Muslims because at least they believe in one God. In, in Hinduism, you have so many gods. You have so many funny ideas. And at least they don't accept... At least they accept that the one God is supreme. They don't have to take some rascal Sai Baba to be God. So I say to them, that this, what is the value of your Hinduism if so many people are following Sai Baba? This means that the whole thing is sick. And how can people accept this rascal as God? So even even within the sphere of Hinduism, there's so many nonsense things, and to to sort out the nonsense from what is what is sense, what is sense is that Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. We are all his servants, and anything else outside of this is nonsense. It doesn't make any sense because it's not true. But people take it that anything, whatever you like, this Ram Krishna rascal made this Jatamat Tatapat. Everything's all right. Whatever you do, everything's okay. Hippie philosophy. The original hippie. Ram Krishna. So people have this idea that whatever you do, it's okay. Eating fish is okay. Eating meat's okay. Everything's okay. Don't do any religious practice. Everything's all right. I'm God. You're God. Everything's God. So people's minds very much uh, confused due to lack of education. So there's a need for preaching. What to do? 
What can we do? We have to preach. That's all. We have to preach. We should preach very strongly. That class this morning, great class by the Margaret Swami. <coughs> that we have to we have to speak the truth strongly. Compromising won't help. Compromising means that people will always remain compromised. They may smile at us and think, "Oh yeah, Hare Krishna people are nice," but they'll never be convinced. And if they think we're nice, that means just like the guy, everyone smile like this, false smile. The whole material world, everyone's going on with a superficial smile on their face. But there's no substance behind it. There's no reality behind it. There's no real good feeling. Just as someone says, yes, he's nice, he's nice, he's nice. But no one really, no one has any feeling for each other because they can't unless they have knowledge of Krishna. Unless there's relationship with Krishna, then everything is superficial. So the real love for Krishna and for other living beings will be if we tell people very straightforwardly and clearly that everything you are doing, you may not like it, but everything you're doing is nonsense if you don't surrender to Krishna. That uh, Prabhupada, he's, there's this book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. This is some philosophy, how to live in this material world happily. That, that, what do you think, Christine? You think I'm okay. And whatever everyone else does, that's also okay. It's again hippie philosophy. Everything's okay. Hitler's okay. Everything is nice. Hitler killed all the Jews. Very good. You're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. So when Prabhupada heard this, he said, our philosophy is not that. Our philosophy is, I'm okay. You're not okay. <laughs> so this is actually, this is the fact. This is preaching. It's, sometimes people think we're very puffed up. They let them think what they like. But our duty is to speak. As Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, we should speak, very, especially in India, Prabhupada himself was preaching so strongly and so heavily, so strongly. Why are you giving up your culture? Why are you imitating these Buddha? There was this one lecture Prabhupada gave in Madras, public lecture. I think in that lecture he must have used the word Buddha about 30 times. And he was talking about the people who were listening to the lecture. And why, are you, why are you acting like Buddha? Why are you imitating the Buddha? This life, simply eat, sleep, work, no spiritual life, no question for God. This is simply Buddha, again and again and again. And at the end, everyone clapped Prabhupada, they appreciated it. Because he was speaking straight. Not always. So one time in Pandal, Prabhupada in these Pandals in Bombay especially, was so heavy. And one time, quite a lot of people got up and left. Prabhupada was so strong. He was so strong. But he didn't. And after that, Prabhupada said, therefore, book distribution is, is our better preaching because people, they don't become so much offended. But then again, the next night, he was again. The same thing. Because he was, Prabhupada was so upset to see that people who are born in India, they have the chance to very easily perfect their life and go back to Godhead. But instead, what, what, there's one time Prabhupada said, you see, then this is India, this is the land of Krishna and Rama and the Rishis and the Ganga and the Yamuna. And in India, people are asking for disco. This is Kali Yoga. Or, you see, another horrible thing, You'll see people, they come in, Sri Vaishnava family, for instance, Brahmin family. For generations, they worship Shaladram Shiva, they worship Sri Ranganath, Swami Lord Vishnu. And now they're worshipping this Sai Baba. Their fathers, their forefathers, if they could see this, they would have become brahmacharis and never had any children. <laughs> that if my descendant is going to worship this rascal as God, it's it's the most disgusting thing, and this person, he's actually is in such mind. He actually believes. I think he believes he's God. He actually believes in himself. I think he must believe in himself. Otherwise, how could he convince others? But he's wrong. This uh, they, you see, in South India, it's very common. The people they used to rise early in the morning and chant Vishnu Sahasranam and Sri Venkatesh Suprabhata. This is some song for waking up. Balaji, Tirupati Balaji, Lord Vishnu. So now they sing that same song for worshipping Balaji, but instead of the name of Balaji, they put the name of Sai Baba. The same song. That you are the you are the maintainer of all the worlds, you are the resting place of Mother Lakshmi. Uh, now please, our dear Sai Baba. So it's very, very sinful. Very and how and when you see these things, how can we not preach? We must very we must, must. We have to, how can we see this? That people, they come from such a good background, pious background, and they're spoiling their lives in the most horrible way, that their whole culture is meant, such an elevated culture, that is meant for taking them back to Godhead, and instead they're going to the darkest hell. But that same, their propensity to worship, they're putting it in the wrong place and going to hell. 
so what does it matter you know, if you have a pain in your belly and it's too hot it, it, there's so much so much uh, work to be done <coughs> anyway there's so many things preaching in India is somewhat specialized in as much as you you may have to learn a little about, a bit about the culture and so many, what, what are the different bogus ideas people are speaking about and you gradually get to learn are there any uh, the clock in the Indian railways and then you became the incarnation of God yeah there's so many things so you have to yeah actually there's some very good lines just like this uh some verses we should learn what is the definition of God people say I think so and so is God what do you mean by God what, do you, what is the meaning of God and they'll say well all powerful no no this, this is the definition of God you should learn this shlok Aishvaryasya samagrasya viryasya yashashashya jnana vairagya yostraiva shandam bhaga itingana six opulences in full all wealth all strength all knowledge all beauty all fame and all renunciation so you go through all strength all strength and then again what is the definition there yatovayamani bhutani jayante yena jatani jivanti yat prayant yabhishangvishanti tad vijigyasa svat tad brahmeti this is the definition of the absolute truth that from which everything emanates that in which everything rests and that in which that in which, is, which maintains everything and that into which everything goes at the time of dissolution this is the absolute truth so you really think this, this guy who's doing some magic tricks he is the source of all creation you can go through all the qualities all strength that means he's controlling all the universes do you really think this person then you come to the point all beauty <laughs> and then he's finished <laughs> this is the proof I mean he's actually one of the most ugly people this I'm saying Sai Baba because he's prominent another thing is you find in different areas you see in Gujarat they say Swami Narayan Sahajanan Swami is God well God 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 means Jagannath God for everybody why only for the, the Gujaratis there's no only Gujaratis follow Swami Narayan why only why only for, and not even not all the Gujaratis so how is he God if only for the Gujaratis and then you're then in Bengal there's a whole rash of Bhagavans because there's a lot of poor people in Bengal and it's one way of making a living is to become God at least people feed you so uh, that I used to say when I was traveling in Bangladesh that people say Bangladesh is a very poor country and very unfortunate but actually I think that Bangladesh is the most fortunate country in the world because there are unlimited universes with unlimited planets in them and for all these unlimited universes there's only one God but in Bangladesh in every village there's an incarnation of God so, so this way so many things you can say you should learn what is the definition of God and then test test is this God Gujarati God and then in Maharashtra you have another God who is also Muslim then Muslim Muslim became God <laughs> Shirdi Sai Baba this uh, this incarnation of God business it's really envious <coughs> Prabhupada said also about demigod worship he said that we have to be very active to preach against this no compromise with this he said people in India they are very much addicted to this so we have to be very we have to preach very vigorously against it otherwise people they'll, they'll always be stuck in this demigod worship hmm. I have a few questions when you said already is it offensive to deny worship of demigods also like uh, we have to know the philosophy of those different uh, like uh, whether Ramakrishna Mishra, what is their philosophy? What is their philosophy? That's what Prabhupada used to say. Well, I'm a follower of Vivekananda, someone may say. They say, oh, so what is his philosophy? And many times they don't know. Then you can tell them. Actually, this Vivekananda rascal, he says, uh, throw out Tulsi, plant Begum, plant eggplant, because what is the value of Tulsi? With eggplant, you can cook it and eat it. Bengalis are very fun. Another thing he said is, don't read Bhagavad Gita, play football. That's what he said, one of his quotes. He said, because people, you need to get strong bodies. Because there's that quote is there in Shastra. What is that? Without strength, you cannot understand the soul. So he said, you have to develop your body. 
Well, that's the case in the Buffalo, we should have been the greatest saint. But it says Bala means spiritual strength. So, so many nonsense things. And he himself was a meat eater. And he used to smoke. <coughs> and this Ram Krishna rascal, he used to eat cow's meat. People don't know these things. You tell them. Because he came to his wonderful conclusion that all paths are the same. Because for some days he lived as a Muslim. So when he was practicing Islam, to be a very good Muslim, he also had cow's meat. So this is, this is your so-called incarnation of God. And he says, Jyotamatatapat. What does Krishna say? It's exactly opposite to what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita. So we should know these things. It's that it's, if you know a few details, it's very useful. Another thing they say, Madhava Seva is Madhava Seva. Then why, uh, then why is Madhava Seva recommended? Then you just simply serve the Madhavas. You don't have to serve Madhava. Then why is why in the Shastras they recommend you do puja like this? Obviously there's a difference. And another very common thing is they say Atma and Paramatma are the same. Then why are there two different words? It's the same thing. Why are there two different words? Param means superior. Superior means different. There's so many different things. Yeah, they say the jiva becomes Shiva, but that's just a jingling rhyme. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's just a jingle. It doesn't mean anything. I want to ask about the things that just now one one guest or one guy guy he had Loknath Maharaj. Yes. Loknath Brahmachari? Uh, I think this is a beard, the white beard. Yes, Loknath Brahmachari. He's sitting, sitting with his light on the light on. Yeah, it's very common and very common. Uh, uh, what is this uh, him? He's not as bogus incarnation. He's bogus. Of course he's bogus. Uh, he's in, he says he's in narration. Yeah, he's not as bogus. Of course he's bogus means if he's not a Vaishnava, he's bogus. And so, <coughs> see what it is. Many of, some, many of these sadhus, they do some austerities or from previous life, they have some mystic powers. And they show that and then they advertise themselves as God. And people are fooled because they don't have knowledge of the science of God. That's why Prabhupada was always speaking philosophy. Prabhupada didn't just go and tell some nice stories, Krishna stealing the butter and very nice story. Prabhupada gave philosophy. That we should understand what is the actual point. Otherwise the whole of Hinduism is running on sentimentalism. But Prabhupada gave philosophy. You should understand clearly what is the fact. Not just some nice stories and then you talk all rubbish. You'll find even the Mayavadis, what do they talk? If you go and listen to the Mayavadis lecture, you think they talk about everything is one, everything is Brahman? They don't talk like that because if they talk like that, no one will come to listen to them. It's boring as hell. They tell stories from Mahabharata and they say, just like Draupadi, she, only when she put her two hands up, then only Krishna, so we have to surrender fully to God. And if you listen, it looks, sounds like Bhakti, but then at the end, I, I know because I listened to the whole lecture once. So one of these Shankaracharyas, just to, I was at Kumamelas, I had a huge tent, what's this guy talking about, he's bringing people in. So he told all these nice stories from Mahabharata, and at the end he said, and the thing you have to realize, after speaking all this thing about bhakti and surrender to God, they, they say the same thing. And at the end he said, and the most important thing you have to realize is that you are all God. And that was the end of his life. <laughs> And the thing is that people think, oh, it's all nice, it's all bhakti, and even the so-called Vaishnavas, they're also, most of them, so-called Vaishnavas, unless there's strong preaching, what happens is the, the so-called Vaishnavas sampradayas, they also become full up with Mayavad, because they think, well, the Mayavad is the same, the same thing, and they're not so bad, we don't want to fight with them, and, you know, they're also nice people, they're also worshipping God, and they also, you'll find most of the so-called Vaishnavas, they're all mixed up, and they're also Mayavadis, and they don't have firm faith in Krishna. And unless we preach strongly among ourselves and outside also, we'll also become wishy-washy and we'll say, well, you know, it's not so bad. You know, the people in Mayavad, they're not so bad. They're also quite nice. But they are bad. They're very simple. Anyone who thinks that, that uh, anyone is, even, is slightly equal to Krishna is greatly sinful. It destroys bhakti. Therefore, we have to know philosophy. Therefore, Prabhupada was continuously speaking philosophy. What is the difference between Jiva and Bhagavan? What are the five differences? Difference between the different jivas, difference between jiva and material nature, difference between jiva and God, difference between different material objects. We should see difference. Everything is different. This cup is different to this book. Is it a fact or not? 
Obviously it's a fact. But Mayavad philosophy says there's no difference. This is what they're saying. It's nonsense. There's no difference between this and this. There's no difference between me and you. There's no difference between me and Krishna. This is what they say. It's all the same. There's no, there's no God in control. So we should know. It's not, it's not that everyone who's offering some incense, that means they have some devotional inclination, but mostly it's completely contaminated. Therefore, we have to give the proper philosophy. Now you say India is a land of rishis, Ram and Krishna, like. Then we also see from Valmiki Ramayana mm-hmm. and uh, what Ram performed. Like they also performed Karma Khanda when Dashat died, then yeah. Lord Ramchandra went to Saryu and there he performed all sort of Karma Khanda. Yeah. But at the same time, we don't. And it is also part of Vedas. See, these are the kind of questions you get in India. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm talking like, <laughs> <laughs> like, so, uh, like you know, these are the questions that my parents and other friends put up to me, so I want you to ask them. So you have to see that it is also part of Vedas, Karma Khanda is also part. And when we say Vedic scriptures, then that also comes in that. So how is it that we don't say that Karma Khanda is a good thing and we should not compare it? It's okay we don't compare it, but at the same time we should we avoid it, should we not promote it once it is a part of Vedas and it has to be executed here in India. People are very much used to it and they have been doing it since the time in Mahmoudi. But one thing is, can you follow Karma Khanda fully and properly as was done previously? No, you cannot do it. Every home has an attached bathroom. That means the whole house is contaminated. You can't do any puja. You can't even live in the house. You're living in the toilet. Your home is unfit. If you're going to do karma kanda, then you have to do so many things. When you rise in the morning, you have to spend several hours making offerings to different demigods, to forefathers, offering sacrifices. Can you do it? Do you do it? No. Do you even know that you're supposed to do it and you're talking about karma kanda? Mm-hmm. Do you know what karma kanda is? Your idea of karma kanda is you go to the office, earn some money and watch the television. That's not karma kanda. Karma kanda means you spend you have to spend several hours a day doing different rituals. You're not doing it, nor is it practical to do it in the modern age. And anyway, all those rituals, they are meant for material enjoyment, but they invoke Krishna. All the karma kanda rituals they are ultimately offering to Krishna. So the Vedic, when we're talking about following the Vedas, you have to see that the Vedas prescribe different activities for different people in different times and circumstances. So Karma Khanda is not recommended in this Kali Yuga because no one can do it. You can't do it, nor I, I haven't seen anyone who is doing it. Uh, just like the tap water you use. You can't use that water for anything, it's contaminated. You have to take water from a sacred river or you have to take water from a well which is used only by pure people. Otherwise you can't, you can't drink the water, you can't use it for puja or anything. So there are so many different things which are not common. Therefore in this age it is recommended in the scripture Haryan Nama, Haryan Nama, Haryan Nama, Eva Kevalam, Kalona, Stivana, 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 If you want to follow the Vedas you have to chant Hare Krishna. Lord Ram came again in Kali Yoga as Lord Chaitanya and he taught everyone to chant Hare Krishna. He didn't teach irresponsibility. That's also a point. He didn't teach that everyone should simply abandon their families. We're not teaching that. When uh, Hare Krishna, Lord Chaitanya himself, because he had important work to do, he took sannyas. But in his family life, he also went to Gaya to offer to the Vishnu part there for his father, for his deceased father. But then, uh, there's some, anyway, that's another discussion. People say you have to give up your family. That's not, that's not, we don't generally encourage this. If you're in family life, if you have your family responsibility, you should discharge that in Krishna consciousness. But if you're going to talk about following the Vedas, then according to the Vedas, in Kali Yoga, you should chant Hare Krishna. And you can't follow Karmakanda anyway, so. In Treta Yoga, it was being followed, but in this age, you can't. Sarge, in India, people are generally illiterate when you say that Prabhupada said the best way to preach is to distribute books. Yeah, this question came up yesterday already. 
Yeah, the best way is to, is to distribute books because the more educated people who, anyway, they're the ones who are speaking any philosophy at all, they're, they're totally confused. Let them read the books and then they'll speak to the others. And the other people, we engage them in chanting Hare Krishna and give them prasad. And when they see the more educated people, they've understood the right path, they'll follow it also. So, you had some question? Is there any chance that some person who uh, can go <coughs> according to Karma, 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 like can go where? And go to the planets. <coughs> go to where? Can anyone follow it properly? Yeah. It's, uh, it's practically impossible to follow Karma Kanda properly because for Karma Kanda everything has to be pure. The place, the time, and everything in Kali Yoga is contaminated. Anyway, even if they do, what's the value? There are pious activities like visiting holy places. Like one of the devotees. Yeah, my father, before he died, he was seeing Durga. In my dream I saw Durga and so many things. It may or may not be true, but we have to see what, what you do when you wake up from your dreaming. What do you, see people say, in my dream I saw Krishna, very nice, but then when you got up you had a cup of tea. So what was the value of you seeing Krishna in a dream? When you read Bhagavad Gita, you're also seeing Krishna. You have to take advantage. So many people I saw Krishna in a dream and so many things. That's not the process of spiritual realization. The process of spiritual realization is hearing from authorities and following. You may have dreams or not dreams, it's not that important. Some say that the, the, the BBT count of 95 was printed in England. We were selling it. What are you talking about? I would say that there were Turka and, and. What's that? Yeah, I don't know why they do this. I don't think it's a very good policy. My mother was very happy to see the worshipping of demigods in Bombay temple and she was very encouraged. I'm very discouraged. When did it happen? Like they have all the photographs and other deities also. Yeah, but they also have writing saying that uh, how the different demigods are servants of Krishna. Hmm. Why don't they read the writing also? Hmm. Yeah, she didn't follow. She just thought, I have never been to this temple. But hmm. she was very much encouraged. That's not even that. Dioramas. They have dioramas around. Yeah, they have Ganesh. They have Ganesh. Ganesh is they have Ganesh writing the Mahabharata yeah. yesterday. Yeah, but Ganesh is writing, but Vyasadeva is saying it's not a Very careful. Actually, the GBC passed a resolution this year because some of our devotees in America, it seems, they've been encouraging demigod worship to bring Indian people in more. But this is very destructive. It's easy to bring people in and they'll give some donations, but the whole thing will become useless. It's better we don't have anyone coming. And they will water it all down and make it nonsense. So, immediately they are asked to do deity worship or the demigods worship, they get the uh, opposite kind. But if they are allowed to do that, and at the same time, there is no. We, we, we're not going to come in their house with a machine gun and stop them. But we're going to tell them that this is not for your ultimate benefit. They have to be convinced to and stop. With my mother, that she had not changed completely, like mm. after chanting, and also she was doing all kind of worship. But now she has slowly, slowly realized that yeah, I, I worship them. And I but how does she realize? Someone has to tell her. Yeah, you have to tell. Unless you speak, they slowly, won't know. Slowly, slowly, it comes to the yeah, slowly means we speak, and then people they may become convinced. Some slowly, some less slowly. Maybe <coughs> talk very strictly, like then they don't, and they, they get completely. It may be. It may be. It may be. We see our acharyas generally they spoke very straightforwardly. People may accept or not accept. There's, we have to be <coughs> we have to be sensitive in our preaching, but at the same time we have to see that if we if we try to make it palatable for the sake of the for the according to the palate of the people, then we're in danger of uh, watering down our message. Yes, this is a very important point, which many people because you're something from that. 
we respect them as servants of Krishna. So if we explain this, that we are not against the demigods, we give them all respect, but we do not recommend their worship because that is against your own self-interest and that is actually blocking your worship of Krishna. So if we explain that, then generally people, they can, they can understand, unless they're down-headed, close-minded. Yes, about Nine days of festival, which yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with Krishna consciousness. It's a festival of Durga worship. It's a traditional Vedic or Hindu festival. Which question is that? Oh, right, that's, yeah, it is very nice. Oh, no, yeah, actually, yeah, I didn't say that. I, I opened up the class saying that I was going to say, answer that, and I didn't. I, I must say that my presentation has been all over the place. And, um, yeah, coming to India, if you want to come to stay, uh, I did actually speak about this a little bit before. It's good to work under some authority. To, of course, in your situation, it may be different because you're already a proper disciple, senior devotee. But if there's a devotees who are coming here, it's very good to work under an authority. Otherwise, the tendency is to make your mind the authority, which is very dangerous. Now, generally, I recommend that uh, devotees, when they're coming first new to India, it's good to stay in one center for a few months and just get... Because the, the temple life is a little sheltered. So it's good to just adjust, stay in one temple, and just get adjusted to the climate and the culture and the food and everything. And then afterwards, go, go out for some... Go out for some maybe traveling, preaching, before you go traveling. And it's good to go with someone who's an experienced preacher. Usually someone who comes new, we send them out with someone just as an assistant. It may take it may take some time. You may not be doing that much like heavy preaching. Although some like these these Bajan, they just join the movement in Yugoslavia. We ship them out. They didn't even join them. They was they just we just ship them out to India and send them out in the villages right away. They just got right into it. But that's Usually, I recommend devotees spend some time in the temple and uh, get some nice association. It's, it's maybe better to go to a, have to go to a temple where it's, it's, the atmosphere is quite nice. Some of the smaller temples, it's a little bit of a struggle, you know. So it's not so much. Maybe a big temple like Mayapur or Vrindavan. Get some good association, stay with it, and then after some time, you can see where to fit in. Like, just like in any in any case, if you're going to change your service, even. It's good to discuss. Usually, uh, this comes out after devotees have been a few years in the movement. Few, first few years, you just basically do whatever you're told. But then, after some time, you may think, well, you know, what am I going to do with my whole life? Then you may discuss with your town president and your spiritual master what I should do. So maybe I should specialize as a cook, or I should specialize as a, as a writer, or a secretary, or a pujari. Or. So, like that, when you come to India, it's good to work with someone who's experienced in working in the country and work under their guidance or with their assistance and just see where to fit in. There's plenty of room for everybody to, to do whatever you're doing. Another thing is, even after all this talk about preaching, you may think, well, I know sometimes devotees, they think, well, you know, I'm not really cut out to be a big preacher myself. I don't know if I, if I could do it. That's all right. You, you can also do, you can also preach, like I said. You can assist preachers also. If you're not yourself a frontline preacher, you can, you can help others also. Everyone's got their part to play. Is this that? Krishna was saying there's no one who's rejected Lord Chaitanya Prabhupada who's mercy more than some people in Bengal because even though they've been born into such a good situation where they're in the places of Lord Chaitanya's pastimes they've opened and some people openly become communists or Muslims or Hmm. He said that Lachitan is arranged it in such a way that every now and then there's huge floods and the devotees go out with food for life and for and these people are professing to be Muslims and communists. They take short of Lachitan Ravadu by taking for and coming from for So this way they're all getting forced to get the medicine. Yeah. It's a thank Bengal's suffering. They're suffering because they had the greatest opportunity and they're not, mostly they're not taking it. 
Another thing for preaching in India is that all the devotees who are preaching in the West should go on preaching strongly and come to Mayapur. And because that, when devotees, when people in India, they sometimes it comes, from time to time it comes on the news in India. It came on the news recently for a few minutes on the national news. It's gone in Russia and it just showed so many temples and, and it, so many people chanting Hare Krishna. And there's a big island so many people told me all we saw. Such a big movement in Russia. So another good thing. Wherever you are, go on being devotees and preaching and that helps us. We're all helping each other, just like if the movement's strong in India, that gives us some inspiration in other countries. And in Russia, if it's strong, that gives us... A, we're all in big family working together to preach Krishna consciousness all over the world. We also need the devotees from the West to come from time to time and show us that we are alive and strong in Krishna consciousness and show the Indian people too. That will come in all... That will come on national television. Usually it comes every year, Gorpanima. That so many... So many Western people in Mayapur, the birthplace of Lord Chaitanya, dancing and chanting. Usually, usually national TV covers that. It, it has a big effect on people's minds to say, oh, so many people, they're coming here. And we tell people, just like in Delhi, we say to them, have you been to Vrindavan? No. We say, well, see, there's people coming from 10,000 miles away to come to Vrindavan. And you live 90 miles away and you're not going. What's wrong with you? <coughs> you should go. <laughs> Bhadavalap Sampradaya, yeah, that's also a Sampradaya, worshipping Krishna. It's prominent in Gujarat and Rajasthan. What about it? Yeah, they worship Krishna, only in childhood. Yeah, they worship child Krishna. Yeah, that's all right. Sampradaya, the, the, you won't find any philosophers in that Sampradaya hardly. Some people, they are opposed by so many verses that they bring from the, uh, which we have heard. Uh, which verses? Different they quote from the Upanishads and uh, to prove their point. Well, I don't know. Unless you say what it is, how can I say? <coughs> that uh, Sarva Upanishad Ogama, Bhagavad Gita is accepted as the essence of all the Upanishads. And in that, Krishna says, Sarva Dhaman Jama Vekam Sharanam Braja. So that's the essence. There may be so many different things said, but when you come to the most important scripture, and this is what it says. Just like we were saying in Mahabharata, that Lord Krishna also, he says Lord Shiva is supreme. And somewhere else in Mahabharata, you'll find that Lord Shiva says Lord Krishna is supreme. And at the end of the Mahabharata, the verse comes, that Vedai Ramayane Chaiva Purane Bharate Tata Adavante Chavante Chasabhatra Hari Giyate. That all the shastras, the conclusion is that all the shastras proclaim Hari as supreme. So you have to see what is the ultimate teaching. And you have to... Another point Prabhupada made is that in Shastra he maybe said so many different things. But uh, if you see what all the Acharyas, who are the leaders of India's spiritual life, Shankaracharya, Ramanuja, Madhva, all the Acharyas, they all say that Krishna and Vishnu is supreme. And other, if you take what are the most important scriptures, Bhagavad Gita is accepted as most important, Srimad Bhagavatam. Srimad Bhagavatam is compiled by Vyasadeva in his maturity. It is Saram Saram Yudaharitam. It is the essence of all Vedic literature. And very clearly says Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. So this, this year, if you want to bring so many Shastras, you see what the conclusion is. And I don't know, what is that Shastra you're saying that proves that point? Something that we don't know even what to do. Yeah, so nothing will happen by, by just simply sitting, we have to do something. So everyone should do something. And actually, there's another point you should put on here. The next thing is that uh, some devotees should come and do it, having spoken about all this. Get your visa, long-term visa, and come and do it. Yeah, you should get the proper visa. You have to get a sponsorship letter from a temple, any ISKCON temple. Huh? One-year visa or five-year visa. Don't come on a tourist visa, because then you only have to leave after six months. Bring a little money, bring a sleeping bag. It's not always hot, it's cold sometimes. Bring a little warm clothing. 
and uh, contact, like I was saying, like some temple for some program. If you, I can give you an engagement if you want. Whatever. It's an interesting thing that that uh, in India, generally, if an Indian comes to preach to people, they think this man's become a sadhu to fill his belly, so he's not very serious. But if a Westerner comes, they think, oh, he had so many comforts coming from the West, he gave them all up to preach Krishna courses, therefore he must be serious. And in the West, if someone preaches, a Westerner, they think, well, this guy's just a, he's just some useless guy who... So he, so he became a member of a cult. But if an Indian comes, they think, oh, he's from India, he must know what he's talking about. <laughs> so we should export the Indian devotees to preach and import Western devotees here. But also, if educated people in India preach, educated Indians, and also, it's also very good, they think, oh, because he, he could have had a good job, he's educated, they respect, he must be 